Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's great to see you on this uh, Sunday morning. I'm glad you braved the weather and uh, made it here today. This is an important message. We've looked together in this series at the purpose of prayer. We've examined the power of prayer. We've taken apart the practice of prayer. We've examined the problem of prayer. But today I want us to look together at the priority of prayer. And of all the prayer, of all the sermons on prayer that uh, you perhaps have ever heard or teachings, uh, this may be the uh, single most important because of the thrust of the message and the impact it can have on your life. So I am really glad that you're here today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the New Testament book of Luke. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 is our passage for the morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, you'll find one located in the uh, chair in front of you, just underneath that chair. You'll find Luke 18, 1 through 8 on page 877, 877. If you're on the front row, that Bible is underneath the chair you're sitting in. Now, as we come to this passage, what we're coming to is, a, is some teaching that Jesus did using a parable. And uh, prior to that, what he's done is this. He said effectively to his disciples that I'm going to die. My, my death is coming. Uh, I'm going to be taken and unjustly uh, killed. Uh, after my death, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I will ascend to heaven. I will at some point in the future come back for you. But between the time I ascend to heaven and the time I come back for you, you're going to be living, experiencing the consequences of following me, positive and negative. Negatively, you're going to have pressure applied to you. If you bear my name, if you try to live life uh, following me, you're going to be moving against the currents of culture and you're going to be moving against the current of your own flesh. There is uh, going to be pressure on the inside and there's going to be pressure as well on the outside. And I want to give you some direction, some guidance on how to live this life well while you are under pressure, pressure. Now, I don't know if you've discovered this or not yet in life, but uh, it is always more difficult to do what is right under pressure than when life is going well. Have you, any of you figured that out yet? Excellent. We got popcorn going on here. Let's try it. Have any of you figured that out yet? Yes, I knew there was more than eight. And so, pressure. When you re if you really want to know what a person's made of, watch them under pressure. If you really want to know what you're made of, watch yourself under pressure. If you want to know what's really in your heart, don't, don't look for what's in your heart when things are going really, really well. Be careful to watch, especially when things are not going well. Look at yourself, watch yourself under pressure, and you'll find out who you really are and where you really are and what's really valuable to you and what you're capable of. Jesus knows that about his disciples. He knows that about us. And so he gives to them a word of counsel about how life is best lived under pressure. Notice in, in chapter 18, verse 1, Luke reports that he focuses on prayer, that the response to a life with pressure, he's saying, is prayer. And uh, Luke reports, and he told them, his disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The word ought conveys the idea of necessity. Prayer is a necessity in times of pressure. 
And Jesus goes on then to use a parable to explain why. Let's read it together. Verse 2. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For, while he, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down, so that she will not wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge says. Pay attention to his response. Think about that response. And will not make a comparison, he's saying, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Setting up a contrast. He's setting up a comparison here. Very important. Will he delay long over them in responding? I tell you, verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, here is the most important issue. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In other words, because God is righteous, because God is faithful, the issue, the real issue is not whether he will faithfully answer the cries of his people. It's a given because of who he is. That's not the issue. The real issue is whether when Jesus comes again, he will find his people faithful. That is to say, living for him, trusting in him, especially in prayer, as they live under pressure. Will he find them when he comes? They'll question that when he comes, he's going to find us living under pressure. That's a given. Pressure's a given. Lean over to your neighbor and say, pressure's a given. Pressure's a given. No doubt there's going to be pressure. Of course there's going to be pressure. But the issue is, when I come again, will I find you faithful under that pressure? Especially, especially and particularly and necessarily when it comes to prayer. That's interesting. We don't really expect that. Today I want to speak to you on why prayer is absolutely critical for living. And I want to examine why we must pray. Why we must pray. Now, here's what I know about us. Most of us believe we could pray. Many of us believe we should pray. But the question is, do we believe or do we feel that we must pray? Must, of course, is a strong word. We don't like being told that we must do this or that we must do that. We don't like hearing the words, we must eat our Brussels sprouts. We would rather hear you may eat your Brussels sprouts. We would rather say I might eat my Brussels sprouts when I'm 88 and need the iron. But we don't like hearing from someone, you must. We prefer may. Must, you see, conveys an obligation with a negative consequence if it isn't carried out. You must do this or else is the message. But I'm not asking here, when I ask the question, why must we pray? I'm, I'm not asking this to convey that there is a punishment coming if we don't pray. What I am wanting to convey is uh, whether or not we believe we lose anything when we don't pray. Do we think there's any difference if we don't pray? We've made the point that there is a difference when we do pray, but do we lose anything if we don't? To really live, do we really need to live praying? Now, there are many people in this room today who uh, have uh, effectively answered, mm, not really. You say, how do you know that? Well, because this seems to be the condition of so many, many followers of Christ, so many of us. We say, no, I, I, I don't have to live praying, but, but I will pray when I need to. 
Now, prayer for me, many of us have said, now we wouldn't say it on Sunday morning because we're not honest on Sunday morning. But many of us, if we were honest, we would say, prayer for me is not a must. Prayer for me is a maybe. I might pray. Maybe I'll pray when, when, I've, when I've come up against something that I, I don't know what to do with it. Uh, maybe I'll pray when I've experienced a loss. But uh, do I have to pray? Must I pray? No, no, no. Uh, anyway, besides that, prayer is hard to do. Prayer is hard to maintain. It's hard to maintain over time. And so many of us would say, no, 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 no. Prayer for me is a maybe. Prayer for me is not a must. Unless, of course, we've got a baby in NICU right now. Then things change. But in all other times, it's a maybe. And yet Jesus insists that it is a must. And he gives us a compelling answer to our question in Luke 18. What I want you to see is that Jesus' intention is to show his disciples the necessity of always praying in the course of life and thus never losing heart or growing weary regardless of what happens. And what he does with this parable is this. He sets up a sharp set of contrasts and, and invites us to make some comparisons to help his disciples think about what, on one hand, what is life like without regular prayer? And what could life be with regular, consistent, persistent prayer? He wants us to see the difference. He wants us to see the difference in sharp contrast so that we can understand why he insists that prayer is actually necessary for life. Now, notice what's going on in this parable with me. We have a widow who's poor powerless. She has a great need. She's helpless. She's been taken advantage of by some adversary. Her only recourse is judicial intervention. She needs someone with power to step in and reverse what someone else has done. So she comes to a judge. She pleads her case. The judge she pleads with, though, is dishonest and he is arrogant he thinks of himself as better than other individuals and beyond the reach of God himself. He knows no shame. He cares nothing about justice. He cares nothing whatsoever about her. And so the situation that Jesus presents to us in this parable is an impossible situation. Though the judge ignores her, the parable goes on to tell us that the widow doesn't give up. She keeps coming to him and coming to him and coming to him to the point that she threatens to wear him out with her pleading. And so finally, the, the parable says and shows the judge acts, giving her the justice and the relief that she's seeking. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I want you to think about what the unjust judge did. I want you to think about what the widow did. And I want you to compare your life uh, yourselves, your lives, and your father with the widow, her situation, and the earthly judge. The idea behind the comparison is not what we typically think it is. We typically think that the idea here is that followers of Jesus should live strong and can live strong in a harsh world by making prayer a lifelong priority. And the way they do that is by pestering God in prayer until they have what they need. Pester him, pester him, pester him. Wear him down. As if somehow we can outlast God himself. It's a really silly way to read the parable. That isn't at all the point of it. Just keep hammering God until he finally says yes to what you're praying for. No. The idea behind the comparison is that followers of Jesus should live strong in a harsh world by making prayer a lifelong priority, priority because they are not like the widow and because their father is not like the unjust judge. You, you don't need to pester him. You've got a completely different situation. And it's here that believers can find a great deal of encouragement and a clear call for life. If we are followers of Jesus, the encouragement in the contrast and in the comparisons are rich, and they are these. The widow, she's a stranger to a judge who doesn't care. That's not who you are. 
you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God, a child of a God who does care deeply. The widow, she had no regular access to the judge. She had to keep coming and hoping he would see her and coming and coming again. But followers of Jesus have an open access into God's presence and can come at any time to get the help they need. The widow has no friend at court to draw attention to her case. But followers of Jesus, when they pray, they have an advocate who pleads their case, a Savior in heaven who is constantly representing them before the throne of God. The widow, she pleads out of her poverty. She has uh, nothing to offer the judge, no hope. But followers of Jesus can plead on the basis that they have all the riches of God available to them to meet any need in Christ. The widow has no promises to claim, but followers of Jesus, every time they pray, can open God's Word and claim hundreds of promises that He's given to them. The widow, she's got to come to a corrupt court of law. But followers of Jesus, they come to an incorruptible throne of grace. And because we are not like the widow, and because our Father is not like the unjust judge, we have great encouragement to pray. In fact, this parable is, a, is, is an incredible invitation to pray. Because Jesus says, if this unjust judge can finally be moved to act on behalf of a woman he doesn't care anything about, how much more will your father act on your behalf as his child? Come on. Come on. Ask. You're not an unwanted widow, and your father is not an unjust judge. Now, this is a great encouragement to pray, but I want you to notice with me there's also a call being made in, in this series of contrasts and comparisons that, that we've got to heed. And I've tried to think about how, how, how I can unpack this for you, so let me put it negatively and then positively. Negatively stated, the call that Jesus is making is this. He's saying to his disciples, don't live life on your own like a widow before an unjust judge. Don't live life on your own like a widow before an unjust judge. What he's saying is, if you fail to live praying for and over all that is in your life, if you fail to make prayer a necessary priority, if your faith is allowed to grow weak, then your life condition cannot help but actually become like the poor widow, desperate and overwhelmed and lacking hope and impoverished. The poorest people on the planet are followers of Jesus who don't pray. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, well, I, I pray at lunch and supper. Well, good. That's not really not what I'm talking about here. Let, let me amend that. Can I amend my own message? Maybe not. The poorest people on the planet are, are, are followers of Jesus who don't persistently pray, who don't actively pray. The poorest people on the planet. Though they have all of the riches of God in Christ Jesus, they're not claiming them, they're not asking for them. They're living like a poor widow in front of an unjust judge. Put it positively, Jesus' call is live your life like a beloved child with a powerful and compassionate father instead. See yourself as loved. See your father as powerful. See your father as compassionate. 
When you see that that way, you will make prayer your life priority. You will live life praying. You will face life. Watch this. All of life, always and everywhere with prayer. And you will face life with a God who is ready and willing to answer. Your your whole life will will become one ongoing conversation with the God of the universe. You will do it readily, you will do it freely, you will do it gladly, you will do it kind of naturally as you get into the rhythm of prayer. It's what Paul meant when he said, hey, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You get up in the morning, you pray. You're brushing your teeth, you pray. You go to pump gas, you pray. You're going into your first meeting, you pray. You're going into your third period class, you pray. You're traveling to make a sales call, you're praying. You're constantly praying. Look, 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 look. This is a relationship we're in. This is a relationship we're in. You say, I know that. Well, if we know that, why is it we don't live like that? Why is it that when it comes to prayer, with the presence of Almighty God, indwelling us as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God living in us, why is it that we pray so little if we know we have so great a relationship? How well do you think my marriage would go if I only talked to Cheryl from 11 to 12 every Sunday morning? Does anyone on a hazard a guess? Or should we call her up on stage and ask her? If I called her up on stage and asked her, then I would only speak to her from 11 to 12 on Sunday mornings for a couple of weeks. What if I only spoke to her before every meal? What if I only spoke to her every morning when I first got up for 30 minutes? What kind of relationship would we have? Wouldn't be much of a relationship. So the idea is live life praying, face life, all of life, always and everywhere with prayer. And you will face life with a God who is ready and willing to answer. And watch this to the question then, why give prayer priority in our busy lives? The parable's implied answer is that if you choose to live without prayer, intentionally active in your life, then you're choosing to live without God, positively active in your life. Intentional prayer brings the positive activity of God. The neglect of prayer brings an absence of that positive activity of God. To put it a different way, and this is the point of today's message, a life without prayer included is effectively a life without, with God excluded. A life without prayer included is effectively a life with God excluded. A lot of us who bear the name of Jesus and we say we've come to have a personal relationship, but the reality of, of, of the situation is when it comes to Wednesday morning at 10.35 a.m., we're doing life on our own. Not by God's design and not by God's choice, but by our own choice. We got him out of the box from 11 to 12 or 12.30 or whatever, we got him out of the box, put him back in the box. We get him out of the box for, for lunch, back in the box, out of the box for supper, back in the box. If we have a regular quiet time, out of the box in the morning, back in the box. We got God in a box. A life without prayer included is effectively a life with God excluded. And watch this. When you exclude God 
from your life with prayerlessness, when you are not hearing his invitation to invite him into your life and every life situation, you necessarily miss what he has for you in that situation and in the life that you're living. There are great things God has you will never see. There are great things God has for you that you will never see. Great things, things beyond your imagination that you will never see. If you live your life without the habitual practice of prayer, what are you missing that God would be giving is the question of a lifetime. See, some of us will never see the greatness of God. Some of us will never know the goodness of God because we never developed the practice of the priority of prayer in all of life. We're living We're living weak. We're living defeated. But what if? What if? What if we started inviting God into the hard places in our lives? What, what if we began, we, we began to invite God into the pain in our lives and keep inviting him in? What if we invited God into the disappointments of our lives? Those intractable problems, those situations for which we have no answers. What if we took God up on his offer and said, come, come in? What might he do? How many parents do we have here this morning? Just raise your hands. Oh, good. Response time is much better, much quicker. Duration of hands up is far better. Great improvement. Philip, they all get A pluses today. Okay. How, okay, now, so how many of your parents? Okay. Whoa. It just multiply. They'll want the good grade. That's good. <laughs> of all the places where pain can come, one of the places that is strongest, greatest, deepest is through your children. Nobody can make you prouder. Nobody can make you scareder. Is that a word? No one, nobody can hurt you like a child can hurt you. Worry you, frustrate you. Am I telling it right? Yep. What if we started to invite God into our families? What if we began to pray for our children? What if God came and did what only he could do? Pam and Ed Flowers have a daughter. Her name is Sarah. She shared her testimony with us. They shared their testimony with us. We want to share their testimony with you. It's a great picture of what God will do when people take him up on his invitation and invite him to come in to their place of pain and disappointment. Let's watch them. 
Ed Flowers. This is my wife, Pam. There was a little Baptist church down the road from where we lived um, just a few years after we had moved in to the house. There was a lady, that uh, godly lady, that had prayed for us. And they invited us to come to church. And it was life-changing. God done a work. Um, he saved me and changed my life. And then the pastor called and asked if he could come and talk to us. And when he came and presented the gospel, that's when I got saved. It was almost like at that time, a tremendous amount of weight was just lifted off my shoulders. It truly was a freedom that I felt at that time. That's kind of our story. Being a Christian us, it was, it was a lifestyle not something that, you know, we want to do on Sunday. I mean, this was our life. And then, of course, as we were there, we had Sarah and Courtney, and then Judd came along, and the kids were active. They won us, team programs, you know. We wanted our kids to know who Christ was, and, and not, not that it was just going to church on Sunday. It, it was not that. It was this relationship that you have with him, that it's intimate. That was important for us to instill in our kids also. Sarah is our oldest daughter. <clears throat> She's, she sings, she's got a beautiful voice. She would sing solos in church. She was <clears throat> part of choirs and they would go on um, mission trips and... Pretty spiritual for her age. Yeah, yeah. She, she came to, to the Lord at, at an early age. Early age and... Yeah. I think what changed was once she graduated, kind of, she moved out. She went to cosmetology school, you know, working then, kind of being on her own. I could see, I could see that distance starting to build then. Of course, we always encouraged her, invited her to come to church, you know, things like that. But we could start to see that something's going on here. Something's, something's happening. It's, it's heartbreaking. You don't want to see your kids go a different route because you've been down that road yourself. You, you know it's, it's not a good ending. <clears throat> but you just really begin to pray. We gave our kids to the Lord when they were born. As they got older and they started kind of doing their own thing, and you know, I can remember praying, God, she's yours. When they get older and start doing their own thing, I would pray and I would remind the Lord that, you know, Lord, I give them to you, you know. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> They're your kids, and no matter what age they are, you're always going to worry about them. But we also knew God had them on their own journeys. He's faithful. He is faithful. And I trusted him. It's so funny because Sarah loves Starbucks. One day they were there and, and Amory just talks to everyone, Sarah's youngest child. And there was a guy sitting at a table and Amory looked up there and said, hey. And he said, hey, back to her. Well, little did Sarah know, but this was the worship pastor at the church she now goes to. They just struck up a conversation, you know, just about Anne-Marie and things like that. And then um, as they kept going back, of course she would see him and they would strike up more conversations. And another gentleman was there with him. It was the pastor of the church. They started inviting her to come to church, you know. And so she went. We had a 
family Christmas get-together. They started inviting her in the fall. She went in December, and when she came in, that was the first thing she came directly to me and said, Mom, I went to church today. And she said, all I could do was sit there and cry. I knew God was working in her heart. And she has been going every Sunday since then. And they had heard she sang. They asked if she would like to do that and uh, to see her up there serving the Lord again. It was not an easy journey. It was probably about a 12-year journey. And we still continue to pray because it still is a journey. It's been good. It's been real good. He's faithful. Only God could have changed Sarah's heart. I could have talked till I was blue in the face. I would. I, I can remember praying, God, bring somebody in her life. Because I knew she, she wasn't going to listen to me anymore. And I can remember, God, just bring that godly influence. I, whoever it is, you know, and he used Starbucks. It's just awesome to sit back and just watch it unfold in front of you. That's been the joy of it. Sometimes when you pray, God shows up at Starbucks. But did you hear what she said? She said, God changed Sarah's heart. I could have talked to her till I was blue in the face. I could have tried to manipulate things. I could have guilted her into coming to church. I could have guilted her and, and pushed her and prodded her and told her what she needed to do. I could have done all kinds of things. But the one thing I could not do is change her heart. Only God could change her heart. And only prayer invites God in to do what only God can do. A life without prayer included is effectively a life with God excluded. But a life with prayer included becomes effectively a life with God deeply involved. And what every single person in this room needs more than anything else is a life with the God of the universe deeply involved. We don't need a God in a box. We need God as He really is. Can you see Him? Full of compassion and mercy and rich toward us and ready to act. Glad to see us when we're coming in prayer. Ready, willing, and able to do what only He can do. Can you see Him? see him this is our God this is our God he is not an unjust judge this is our God look to him pray to him invite him in Amen. Wherever you're hurting, wherever you're confused, wherever you're broken, wherever you're frustrated, wherever you're lonely, wherever you're empty, wherever you're defeated, find Amen.
He's got some great things he wants to do in you and for you. You gotta let him work in his time and his way. You've gotta let him have his say And at the end of the day, that's really all you want. Because whatever that is, it is always best. So how can you use the lessons of this parable in your own life? Let me share with you four life priorities you need to build a a life of prayer and a life with God. And I'm consciously right now speaking to those of you whom the Spirit of God is speaking to right now. Right now you have a sense of a need for something more, something better, something deeper, something richer. Right now, you have a sense of that in your relationship with God and in your life. Because those, I'm speaking to those right now who are on the very verge of a breakthrough. You see him as he is, you hear his offer. Maybe right now you've been brought to the end of yourself and you feel the need for him like you've never felt the need for him. Maybe something has come into your life that is frightening to you. Maybe your life is just a whirl of confusion. Maybe your life is just sideways. This is for you, number one. Four broad life priorities you need to build a life of prayer and a life with God. They involve the priority of persistence, the priority of resistance, the priority of constancy, and the priority of urgency. Persistence, resistance, constancy, urgency. Four things you want to lean into in order to live life with God out of the box. Here we go, let's move. First of all, the priority of persistence with prayer. With this parable, Jesus illustrates the priority of persisting in prayer in the course of life. And so he says in verse 1, he says, men ought always to pray. This means that prayer is necessary. It's essential to be used in all the seasons and circumstances of life, whatever they are and regardless of how difficult or good they are. And that is why Paul says to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, meaning not that they should recite prayers all day long, but that they should live their lives so aware of their need for God that they live habitually praying over everything that comes into their lives and everything that is already present. If you're a follower of Jesus, prayer is meant to be the atmosphere in which you live your life. Your persistent response to all of life. And that means that prayer is never for you the last thing you do when everything else has failed. Rather, it is the first thing you do before anything else is tried. Before I take a step, I pray. Before I think it through, I pray. Because I'm saying to God, God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your strength. I can't do this without you. It extends to to the, the big things in life. It extends to the small things in life. God, I'm getting ready to have this conversation. Let me bring you glory by this conversation. I'm moving into this meeting. God, let 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 people see Jesus in me in this meeting. Let my words be the right words. Lord, my wife and I are having problems. And as we go to talk about this, let me reflect the humility of Jesus. Let everything I do be done in an atmosphere of prayer, which means an atmosphere of radical dependence. Second, 
see the need for the priority of resistance through prayer. Not just persistence, but also resistance. Luke tells us that Jesus reinforces the priority of resisting weariness and defeat through prayer. The idea is not that alongside praying continually that disciples have got to work hard to resist the temptation to lose heart or grow weary and tired, but rather the idea here is that by persistent prayer and trust in the power of God, those who are regular prayers avoid striving and struggling their way through life in their own strength, which is always a guaranteed strategy for living weary, tired, and defeated. The more I pray, the more I resist weariness. Because I realize, are you listening? Because I, I realize life in the end is not up to me. Life in the end is up to Him. It's not a matter of me making life better. It's a matter of me following Him who is life. And what I've found in my own personal life is that as I walk with Christ and as I let go of whatever is defeating me or could defeat me or uh, as I let go of whatever is burdening me or bothering me or draining me, when I finally let go of that and I stop trying to solve or fix or act in my own strength and my own wisdom, that suddenly I find by letting go, his strength is set free and I understand what he means when he says, what Paul meant, when I am weak. When Paul said, when I am weak, then he is strong. I let go. Prayer is always a declaration of radical dependence. The only people who pray, beyond the, the, the rote prayers, the thank you for this meal prayers, the only people who really, really earnestly pray are those who know I am not enough. Those who are enough, who think they can fix everything, they don't pray much. They fix stuff and make the world's biggest mess. Third, see the need for the priority of constancy in prayer. What he means here is, or what we're pointing to is consistency in prayer. The widow, she keeps coming again and again. She says, give me justice against my adversary. Her request is never once and done. It's not this today and that tomorrow. But it's this, essentially the same request asked again and again. She has an adversary who has taken advantage of her, and now she cannot live. And that is the focus of her pleas. The prayer that has power has this kind of focus. And that's why I've taught you that it does yourself or, and no one else any good when you pray prayers that say, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless my family, Lord, bless, 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 bless. The prayer that aims for everything is the prayer that, that, that hits nothing. So stop praying for blessings. Start praying for specific things. What I've found, though, is when I pray consistently over time for specific things, just like Ed and Pam did, that my, my prayer, I keep coming again and again to the Lord, and he will tighten the focus of my prayer. He will lead me to be very, very specific over time. He'll begin to show me things that I'd missed, and suddenly my prayers take on this laser-sharp focus, and then it is then that I begin to see God work and move in extraordinary ways. I, my asking is lined up with his willing. Finally, I want you to see the priority of urgency behind prayer. The priority of urgency behind prayer. To pray with urgency or insistence is to have a sense that something's got to change. Something's got to change. We only pray with urgency when there is a clear necessity or where there is a deep passion in our hearts. This woman, when she came, she came with, with passion. She came with a sense of urgency because she came believing, knowing that something needed to change that she couldn't change. The most powerful prayers are always urgent prayers. They're coming out of sheer necessity or they're coming out of a deep love for something that's going wrong and isn't going right. It always comes out of a deep sense that something needs to change. And I'll tell you, I don't know everybody in this room, but I'll tell you one thing I do know. 
about you. And yes, I'm speaking to you, sir. Something needs to change. Something needs to change. And that's something, if it ever is really going to change, is going to be changed only by the power of God applied to your life. I'm simply saying, there's not a person in this room who doesn't need the active, direct involvement of God in their lives for them to take the next step, for them to see the next thing God has for them. And no one in this room will ever really, truly change or ever see the greatness of God unfolded or the goodness of God demonstrated until They have owned that something needs to change. And with urgency, begin to pursue God for that change. What needs to change? What great thing do you need God to do that only God can do? What great thing does God have for you? That you're about to miss. And you will miss if you don't begin praying. Persistently. Resistently. Constantly. Urgently. Stand to your feet, would you, all across the room. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.